Hey, what's going on? Two Kingdom Tuesday. I'm excited to get into this. Stay with me. So Two Kingdom Tuesday, this is going to be awesome. I am uh, wanting to uh, get into that meat uh, of the comparison that we are looking at with John Frame and Meredith Klein on, and we're using um, we're using John Frame's book to do that, uh, the Escondido Theology, um, the Covenant Theology, and um, the stuff that they're talking about, or at least that their frame is bringing up, is really at the heart of the matter of two kingdoms. If you haven't looked at this yet, um, hopefully we will spell it out in great detail over the years, but or over the days, I should say, or over the episodes that we uh, uh, look at this subject. But really, the covenants are at the heart of the two kingdom doctrine. Uh, and now I'm thinking especially, of course, of the Reformed two kingdom angle. Um, both classically two kingdom and um, especially uh, as we think about this uh, subject of of uh, Escondido theology or the Reformed Kingdom project or what else should we call it? Pilgrim theology it has been called by Horton. All of this is essentially just uh, coming straight out of covenant theology and that covenant theology is being uh, articulated in a certain way by Meredith Klein, and so really, Frame is accurately getting to the heart of the the the, the system, as it were, and um, and that's why this particular chapter, I believe it's chapter five, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, super important. Um, so uh, again, even if you don't have this book, that's okay. Um, the ideas will convey them and just use them as launch pads for talking. Um, but, you know, if you want to get the book, get the book and uh, read along with me. Uh, it's probably going to be a, quite a long-term project, quite a nerdy book to buy, but yeah, interesting. So um, I'll leave that up to you. Um, all right. So where we left off uh, was that um, I was just focusing a little bit on methodological um, issues and uh, just doing that as Klein himself, or at least, sorry, Frame himself was uh, critiquing Klein on his methodology. Uh, noted some ironies there and some things that were worth consideration. I'm not going to uh, double up and recap. I'll just let you go back and listen to that if you're interested in uh, that subject. But now um, moving forward, I want to look at, um, I think I'll probably get through uh, one, two, three, I don't know. We'll just go maybe three points that he makes. Uh, two of them I kind of agree with. The third point year out of a few more um, maybe that's where we start getting into some hot water and disagreements. So uh, let's see how we go. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I want to read Frame as charitably as possible, and I want to read him in such a way that, you know, um, assumes the best of what he's saying. And um, I also just want to be able to say very concretely when things are, you know, not working in terms of argument or where the critique doesn't really stand. And so nothing too um, sinister going on here. We just want to work through the um, the uh, critique that he invites interaction with, essentially. And I, I know that this is something that he put out there. Unfortunately, I am kind of bummed out about this, but, you know, it hasn't been, I mean, you know, it hasn't been well received. I don't really see why it wasn't, to be honest. I think, I think, I mean, yeah, sure, there are a few uh, lash outs and whatnot, but come on, guys, grow up at the end of the day. Just put out a, I was kind of hoping that, you know, they'd put out a solid response to frame and get the conversation going. That hasn't happened. You know, I'm a Two Kingdom guy and uh, an Escondido guy, 
And uh, I'm kind of feeling they let, you know, they let us down a little bit there. You know, they just sort of shut frame down as if he had nothing to say, which I don't know. It just seems like a weird move. Anyway, so we're not doing that. We're we're working through this stuff. And um, and so with that in mind, um, let me look at this first point with you. In fact, I'll just go ahead and read this to get you in on what I'm uh, thinking. Um, he says that, um, and here's the, the basic idea um, the definition of merit is simply desert. The term refers to a quality deserving praise or approval um, uh, or virtue, essentially. In this context, uh, Frame says to ascribe merit to someone is simply to say that he deserves God's blessing. In this sense, it seems obvious to me that merit is involved in all uh, covenant arrangements throughout Scripture. Surely if Adam had, had not sinned, he would have deserved the blessings of the covenant. Now, this is an important admission. And I think we need to keep it in mind as we move forward, because he is saying that something about the merit idea is true. I got to admit, he gets a little bit vague, and I'm not sure where he wants to go, and maybe I'll find out in in another one of his books. Um, But uh, he wants to affirm, at least at some degree, this uh, concept of merit um, that is necessary. Uh, The problem comes in when when he relates that not only to the works covenant, but to all covenant arrangements throughout scripture now he could mean there that you know what klein means essentially in that uh you know adam and the second adam and everyone there's this works law engine that drives the whole system you know if he means that amen if he means uh you know kind of works and grace are one thing and he's going to come up with some sort of mono covenantal angle well that would be a problem for me but anyway let's keep reading he says surely if adam had not sinned he would have deserved the blessings of the covenant. Um, since Jesus did not sin, he deserved the Father's blessing. So, amen, amen, amen. That's sounding awesome and, wow, even a little bit Kleinian. But uh, then it goes, uh, you know, kind of true, kind of weird. You'll see what I'm talking about. He says, insofar as God sees believers in union with Christ and not in their own sinful natures, believers deserve the blessings of the new covenant. Uh, now, again, that's, you know, again, that's true. It's just maybe stated in a way that might not be the most helpful to this discussion and could be blurring things a little bit. Uh, what I mean is this, insofar as you see that basic idea of the first Adam, the second Adam, uh, they're standing as our covenant representatives. They deserve the blessings or deserve the punishment. You know, that that basic sort of engine is in, in place based on the law, based on works. And it's true that we then receive all of this by grace because of the works of another. But it's also true that we're united in Christ. And in some sense, then we are imputed with their righteousness. So it's it's true in some sense that God sees us as deserving those blessings of the new covenant in Christ. But it just comes dangerously close to saying well, we kind of have this thing going on with our own works and in Christ that then deserves an ultimate blessing. Um, Now, again, he's careful. He's not going all the way here, but um, that's just, you know, it gets gets me on alert. So, but then he goes on. Certainly, God did require perfect and personal obedience of Adam, 
for God's own standard, his perfect righteousness. That's what he requires. Uh, you see, now this is what he does. That is what he requires of all people. Now, again, he could, that's true. That's nothing wrong with that. But it just gets me nervous when we go from switching from a covenant head to all people uh, in this context. Because it might be might be hinting it or make making the way for something that Norman Shepard and those guys said, uh, which really wanted. I mean, they wanted to they wanted a believer's works really to count along with his faith, you know, um, and 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 that for righteousness. I mean, that's just a totally different thing. Uh, interest, oh, just a whole bunch of different subjects that come up at that point. I'll leave that aside for now. Those will never get to these points that he makes. But uh, negatively, he says the wages of sin is death. So that's fine, and we we will uh, let's let's just read him in the best possible light. I think that's the 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 safest way to go. Let's just say he's just saying. Listen, also keep in mind that it is true that we're in our covenant head. And in that sense, you know, this is applied to us as well. Amen. A little bit random, but okay, there we go. Uh, So in the end, he says, I believe that merit cannot be excluded from the pre-fall covenant. However, there have been serious objections raised against this conclusion. I have some sympathy for these objections. But if we keep our eye on the definition I supplied above, we can come to a balanced view of things. Now, Again, just living on the razor edge there, but uh, you know, again, amen, that's what we want. We want a balanced view, view of things and, um, you know, reading that prior definition in the best possible light, I'm happy with that. That balance, stated ger- generally, is this. Adam's merit was a necessary condition of the blessings of the covenant, but was not sufficient. Now, those are the, those are the, that's the caveat that he wants to put into place to to keep this thing from becoming a, a kind of merit that he's not happy with and here's where again it gets a little a little bit dangerous dangerous at least but um it's it's okay as long as we're qualifying this thing to absolute death um, and here's where we get into the few points that he makes uh, he says that is to say other factors than merit were important to the completion of adam's probation and then consider the following, and that's what we're now going to talk about. So, you see what he's doing? He wants to, he wants to bring in something other than merit. He wants to talk about a kind of grace before the fall. Uh, it's not a slam dunk one way or another. Uh, it's okay because as long as we're okay with everything he says um, in terms of these points that he's going to make, because then it's just a matter of um, semantics and whatnot. And uh, as um, uh, Nick and I have been talking about the whole time. Um, there is this this real uh, thing that we need to be aware of. Semant- you can get semantic distinctions and substantive distinctions. We're okay with semantic distinctions. They're not ideal. We'd love everyone to play our semantic game. But really, it's the substantive disagreements that we're, we're after. So that's what I'm trying to be aware of as we move forward. Uh, but he says, okay, here's the first point. He says, consider the following so that... Um, you know, we can we can try and find a balanced view of what it means for there to be merit um, before in Adam's uh, covenant of works and for him to receive blessings by merit. He says, firstly, although Scripture does does contrast works with faith in the redemptive context, um, they are not in every respect opposite to one another. Uh, there is no antithesis. For example, he says between walking in obedience and trusting in God. So walking in obedience, of course, you have <clears throat> works and trusting in God is faith. Um, 
as the example of Jesus himself indicates this. He walked in faith. He walked in obedience. Excuse me. Indeed, certainly, if he had not trusted God, Frame says his works would not have been accepted. Even in the attempt to do good works, faith is an essential element. What is not of faith is sin. So Adam's responsibility was to obey in faith, uh, not to obey as if it was possible without, without faith. So to say that Adam was to merit God's blessing should not be understood to mean that he was to gain the blessing by works apart from faith. <clears throat> now, um, what do I say about that? Amen. Totally fine. See, this is a good example. I'm totally happy with that clarification. I I really genuinely don't think Klein would ever have assumed anything otherwise. Um, I don't think that's a problem to anything Klein was saying. Uh, It can just simply be received for what it is. I'm not entirely... I mean, let's just again go with this principle of, of just reading Frame in the most charitable light. Maybe he's just going, listen, I'm just worried that we might miss that. And um, if the Kleinian system is taken by some to mean that that's not true, and maybe he's had some experiences, I don't know, then, um, you know, fair enough. Uh, a, a point of clarification there is, is helpful. Um, Frame says that um, faith and works are not always in antithesis. And, and, you know, that is a good point in that you have, uh, and I think this is a drum I'm going to beat over and over again. This is really the key to unlocking the debate between Frame and Klein, I think. Um, the, the issue is never to do with just faith and just works, right? Um, the issue has to do with the covenant of grace and a covenant of works and, and a principle of grace through faith and a principle of works. And, and, and the principle is that of inheritance of the promise. So, for example, um, you know, you get two ways of inheriting the promise, and that is antithetical. Uh, faith is kind of a, well, using our previous, uh, it's kind of a synecdoche for the whole thing, right? It's a, it's a part of the whole. Faith is just a representative term for a covenant that depends on Christ's works, where we receive his works by grace alone, uh, as opposed to a kind of another representative term, works, where with the, the understanding there is that we're depending on our own works, not the works of Christ for the inheritance. Now, in terms of those two systems of salvation or principle of inheritance, uh, dude, those things are completely antithetical. And um, I don't know, well, Frame hasn't denied that uh, essentially yet, so, so let me just leave it at that. But, um, you know, anything else? I mean, is, is there law and grace in the covenant of works? Is there law and grace in the covenant of um of grace well you know we'd have to define terms we'd have to be careful with what we're saying but yeah there is a kind of condescending mercy or at least a condescending kindness of god benevolence of god uh in the covenant of works uh there is um of course law um and likewise in the covenant of grace there is certainly law there is definitely grace um, so both are present, but really that's not the question. We're always asking the wrong question if we're going down that track. The question is, what is the principle of inheritance? It's a very simple idea, actually, but I think it just gets you out of so much trouble if you just keep that in mind, or it just clarifies thing, uh, things. Again, just uh, thinking of, of, of Nick's uh, constant refrain uh, this last weekend that we were hanging out. Um, semantic, but not substantive. So there we go. Quote Nick Cleveley. Um, all right. To uh, take frame then as charitably as possible. You might not intend to say anything more here. Um, I'm happy with that clarification. 
Um, and so let's just leave it at that. But um, certainly, I don't think Klein would ever have suggested that Adam would merely work without faith in God. Likewise, Jesus, not like he's just going to do his thing and not care about God. I mean, obviously, you know, that, at that level, um, law requires worship of God, I mean, and belief and, and, and all of that. So uh, happy to make that concession or not concession, just clarification. Um, if anyone does actually say anything else, I don't know. I feel like they might be really, truly off the rails. So I'm not sure where climb would, uh, where frame would actually come from there. But then the second point is kind of similar uh, where he says we should be reminded. Now remember what he's trying to do is say um, we've got this merit thing going on prior to uh, the fall with the covenant of works and we just got to make sure that we keep it kind of balanced with all the nuance of the text to that degree we're all happy Um, so point number two we should be reminded that god's covenant with adam was made while he maintained his created moral integrity he was not created morally neutral as if his moral attainment were to consist entirely of his own efforts and that's how it relates to this merit slash what you deserve uh, thing that that frames trying to balance out here uh, God created Adam with a good character. Adam was naturally inclined to, inclined to choose what was good. That was his desire. How this good character was changed into a fallen nature through Satan's temptation is a mystery. Uh, but if that change had not occurred, Adam would uh, not have needed, as Paul did, to discipline his body and bring it under subjection so as to avoid being cast off. That kind of thing. All right. Now, I think what Frame is saying that we have to be I think he's he's saying that we have to be aware that that um, you know in the same way that Adam was shown the kindness of being created and really having God reveal Himself to him and just all the goodness that he received at that point, uh, we have to also keep in mind that he was upheld by God and um, and that even his character was given the benefit of um, not merely a sort of neutral state but a, a good state. Uh, all things were created good, and uh, this, in, in comparison, maybe even to to uh, Jesus in the wilderness with no food, no blessings, and he had to really, you know, endure that trial, um, even at a greater level. Maybe he's saying that it's hard to, I mean, just insofar as that is what he's saying, and no major problem. Let's put it that way. And again, I don't think Klein would ever object to that. Um, and the reason why it's not a Kleinian issue, and maybe, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Frame must get this. Um, is that when Klein wants to say there's no grace before the fall, again, we have to just remember that he's talking about a very specific technical kind of thing there. He's talking about an, not an unmerited favor, which I would put all this in the category of, but a demerited favor. Uh, so if you've been tracking on Mondays, you'd know that from Chris's book. And um, and that sort of just, again, is is just helpful in showing where the, where the boundary lines are here for thinking about what grace is and why there's no grace before the fall. Certainly you kind of demerited favor given to Adam. And therefore, really what we're talking about, even though it has an unmerited favor of some sort, that's not really grace in anything we're, we're concerned with. Um, and so, sure, you know, God, God sustained him and helped him. Obviously, who's going to deny that? Um, but that doesn't change um, really the idea of him receiving blessings. So again, it's it's not uh, you know, and, and even deserving those blessings because that's due to the covenant, that's due to the agreement that God makes with Adam. Um, so there's no problem in in affirming God's sustaining uh, blessing to Adam all the way through. Um, 
it's just that um, we don't want to say that there was any demerited favor there or anything. So the whole thing is kind of moot, basically, is what I'm saying. And um, and added to that, I mean, I think that he would still have merited what was given to him in eternal life. But that doesn't mean, again, Kleinians, I don't think, well, I'm not saying that that that's because Adam was intrinsically worth it, you know, because he just, you know, of his own amazing self-generative power just produced in himself his own moral character or anything like that. That's never the goal with anything Klein was saying. There's no problem in talking about a condescension of God to him, to Adam, that is, uh, and a help that God gives him. Um, indeed, that's true of Christ, even as as we think of of uh, all the ways in which uh, providentially he was kept safe, and I don't know, just all those kinds of things. But that's not the issue. Again, that's uh, he didn't receive grace so as to earn what was promised. Um, he earned what was promised uh, without grace and based on merit. Um, <clears throat> so. There we go. Much like the previous point, just taken as charitably as possible. This isn't really a critique of, of Frame. Um, and I don't think Frame's really, maybe even, maybe he's critiquing Klein. I'm not sure. But it, it, one way or another, it's just helpful clarification. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, now, with that said, we get into the third point, And this, is what, this will be the final thing I talk about um, uh, because we'll run out of time. But just let me read this third point to you because here's where we get into the issue. He says, some have taken merit in this context to imply a quasi-commercial transaction in which uh, Adam was to acquire a certain amount of credits to obtain a divine blessing. This would be analogous to a mother promising Johnny a treat if he can refrain from punching his brother for the next two hours. Uh, And then he goes on to say, nothing like that is evident in Genesis 1-3. to But although that sort of transaction is one in which we speak of merit, it is not the only kind of merit that there is, nor should it be considered part of the definition of merit. Um, And I see no indication, he says, that the covenant of Genesis 1-3 included any such commercial arrangement. Now, that's a difficult point because I I wish he had provided more detail there and, and Maybe again in some other writings, I'll come across some more on this. Uh, in which case, I'll I'll just update this. But um, you know, the reality is um, we don't know what other kind of merit he's talking about there. And you know, maybe he's in line with, maybe he's taking um, uh, something that uh, Norman Shepard said to heart there. And I know Norman Shepard was just downright against the, this concept from beginning to end. Um, and so, uh, some have taken uh, merit to quite this uh, imply this quasi-commercial transaction is his big deal. Um, but he himself admitted a little bit prior to this, merit simply just means worth. Uh, some, some, you know, someone deserves something. That's just the simple idea. Yeah? Um, just a quote from Tale of Two Adams, uh, which is what we're looking at on Monday with Chris. You know, Chris offers a similar. Um, analogy or uh, illustration he says let's say uh, you have this guy named Cameron and his uh, father Bob I think was the name yeah Bob um, Bob had attached a positive value and worth to Cameron's obedience and negative value and worth to Cameron's disobedience so that's kind of pretty much 
I think the same thing, although a bit more of a crass example that Frame gives in that a mother promising Johnny a treat if he can refrain from punching his brother. Although it's, you know, it's kind of real. Um, so, you know, it's the mother there is uh, assigning a positive value to refraining from punching uh, his brother uh, and a negative value from, uh, you know, in terms of doing that and going ahead and, and disobeying and uh, inflicting pain upon his brother. I suppose that, that, that illustration is a little bit more different, a little bit different because um, it actually has some sort of mor- morality attached to it, whereas uh, Cameron's father attaching some sort of um, uh, obedience, or at least um, some sort of worth to his obedience. Well, I suppose again, obedience is uh, is still that it has that moral uh, attachment. So basically, what I'm saying is is uh, Chris has uh, a similar similar uh, illustration. I think the two are analogous. Um, but he says, uh, Bob said that would be Cameron's father had announced that Cameron's obedience deserves a new Ferrari and that Cameron's disobedience deserves the loss of all privileges. Now, the thing is, that's, I think that's what frames talking about with the commercial or quasi commercial, commercial transaction. Um, and if it is the concern there would be that it makes, um, God like less of a father as it were. Um, that he would be sort of just defaulting to a kind of weird commercial scenario, uh, which is just weirdly legalistic and that sort of thing. But the point of the illustration, and actually then Frame uses it, um, and the, the, certainly the thing that Chris is bringing out is that that doesn't make Bob any less of a father. It doesn't contradict his uh, fatherly love for his son, to quote him directly there from page 22. Um, so... It, it, obviously, right? I'm a father. I have a, I have a son. Um, I know this to be true. I mean, I'm always attaching positive values for obedience and and uh, negative values for disobedience. And I mean, that's and then I'm happy to really, you know, in no way does it make it a weird commercial scenario if I'm going to give uh, the the agreed upon reward to my son. Now, it could be argued that you know, in every sense. I helped him along the way or whatever. I sustained him. You know, he lived in my house while he did the work or whatever it is. That's not the point. The point is we agreed upon something. And, you know, I, as the father, have attached the value that I deem fit. And I have the right to do so. And that's not soulless commercialism. That's um, that's just the way that fathers show love for their children that's okay that you could totally do that um so as chris says um it's um you know it's 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 definitely not a denial of the fatherhood of god prior to the fall but then also it's worth as he says and just going back to his book there he's like you got to also consider that the um implications of denying that idea outright which frame isn't doing you know again he's affirming the value of merit and need for merit so thankfully frame is not doing this it's just i just don't know how he's working it out if he's not happy with this commercial kind of thing uh, or the this quasi-commercial thing but um the, the implications of course are massive if 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 adam you know couldn't deserve eternal life he couldn't really deserve eternal punishment um and you know, same same would be true for Christ. I mean, he wouldn't be able to earn for us uh, what was promised, and really, he would have suffered for no reason, um, because it it you know everything becomes absolutely random, and and um, you know God can just sort of I don't know it just uh, turns into another thing. Um, as Chris says here, think about it: if human responses to God's covenant 
demands, uh, at least, sorry, his covenant demands do not have value, worth or merit, then it would have been impossible not only for Adam to earn heaven for us, uh, but it would have been equally impossible for him to earn hell for us through his disobedience as we now have it. Uh, by the same token, Christ would have been unable to earn the kingdom of heaven for us, and it would have been meaningless for him to have been punished for the valueless, worthless, meritless actions of other. Um, so there we go. You know, I think that's, I'm going to drop it at that. Read Tale of Two Adams. Great on this stuff, I thought. And um, just helpful in clearing up what Klein is saying, what arguing for. So again, thankfully, I'm, I'm not saying that Frame is denying all you know, merit here and is therefore, you know, plummeting into that major error. But uh, certainly I don't think there's enough of a critique to just call it a quasi-commercial thing and then go, see, don't like it for that reason. There's just, there's no, there's, you know, it's, I would just reject the critique at that point, um, feeling that it's far more persuasive to to look at uh, Chris's um illustration there and even frames illustration about the mom uh and just go you know what that's okay i I think that's totally good and that's in fact what god does and that's exactly why we need a a covenant mediator and uh that's why that's why christ gets what what was promised and uh we're going to heaven that's the whole thing so anyways uh, there's something to think about uh hopefully even if you're not into uh this major uh, rabbit hole, uh, following frame and Klein. Uh, these are just some good thoughts, I think, just to process the gospel, really, and, and, and what we are talking about on Mondays with the Covenant of Works. So hopefully it tags on well uh, with that and and um, and uh, helps you out. So I'm going to leave it at that. I've got some great podcasts coming for you this week. Uh, I've just... Uh, Timeline's a bit messed up, but I've just um, I've I've hung out with Nick the whole weekend, and we managed to record a whole bunch of podcasts uh, live. I think some really good stuff, so uh, that'll come out for the rest of this week. Uh, so stay tuned for that, and uh, uh, I will talk to you soon. Um, hope you have a great day. Bless you. Mm-hmm.